you doing? Did you guys get a chance to listen to last week's episode with Christine? If you didn't, I want you to go back and listen to that episode first because it was part one of this conversation and now we're going to listen to part two. She tells a crazy harrowing story of what it was like for her to, you know, go into foster care and to age out of foster care. But this part of the story is actually kind of how she came out of that, how she found healing and how she provides healing for others. So I'm so excited to have her share with us part two. And quickly, before we go into that, I want to talk to you guys about taking inventory. Part of being trauma-informed and part of being an educator and giving psychoeducation to parents and community members, a lot of times it feels like a tall order, right? Like social workers and therapists are saying, this is what you need to do with these kids. This is how you need to intervene. And so you've got your little tools in your toolbox and you're ready to go be as therapeutic as you can possibly be. And then you realize like, I didn't handle that right, or I'm not good at this, or this is super uncomfortable. And I just want to let you know that if you are feeling that way, if you feel like you've messed up, if you feel like you know that you didn't just do something that you were supposed to do, shoot, if you're a parent and you just broke down and you, you know, sent your kid to their room or you said something to them that was not therapeutic at all, that's okay, okay? Because we're all going to make mistakes and it's actually super important that we can ex- show an example for kids that we can make mistakes and that things will be okay, right? Because if we are just perfect, if we just show up to everything great, then we start to make others feel inferior, right? Like, have you ever watched like, you know, somebody that you look up to and they just have the right answer for everything? You swear their house must be clean all the time. You swear that they always have a therapeutic response. You know that they never get mad. They certainly never cuss, you know, those people. Well, they're great, but they can start making us feel super inferior about ourselves, like something's wrong with us. And the thing is, is nothing's wrong with us if we're making mistakes. Your kids are going to make mistakes. Mentors are going to make mistakes. Program directors are going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes, right? So this podcast may give you and, you know, service providers may give you tools to use, but there's no shame in forgetting to use the tools or being human. So I want next time you realize that you didn't use one of the tools that you could have, first of all, pat yourself on the back for that awareness, because a lot of this work starts with awareness, right? I remember like I this is totally a big self-disclosure thing, but like I smoked cigarettes and I smoked cigarettes in like high school, like, all right, not great. But I went to one of these like smoking cessation groups and I was like 17 and smoking cigarettes. And one of the first things that they had us do was take this like little paper piece of whatever that could go in your cigarette pack. And like every time you smoked a cigarette, you had to like do a little check mark that you smoked a cigarette on this little piece of paper. And there were times that I would reach for a cigarette and I knew that I had to like check this off on this box. And I was like, oh, I just had one five minutes ago. I don't need one now. So something about the awareness and the accountability, something about the awareness of like, oh, I 
am actually writing this down now that I'm doing this. Something about that made me have a behavior change, right? I didn't want to, I didn't want to do one, have one again so quickly. So awareness matters when we stop and we go like, oh, I am, you know, eating another donut right now. Oh, I am smoking another cigarette when I don't, anything that we want to change, right? It starts with at least knowing when you do what you do, right? If you're smoking three packs a day, if you're smoking a pack a day, it's good to have a gauge of the problem. I think a lot of us just want to jump into change. Okay, here's the practical tools. I'm going to go ahead and jump in and and do it. You know, okay, I... I'm a smoker. I want to be a non-smoker. Okay. I want to start a new diet. I'm going to eat this way, but you can, you can breathe for a second and you can actually gain some awareness of how do you parent now? How do you show up with kids now? How do you show up as a service provider now? What are your responses? Like take a week or two or three or a month or whatever to just, who are you? Who are you as a person? How do you interact? What, how do you come off? Okay. So just be like an observer and you know, you don't need to like have a little piece of paper with a log and like responded this way to child, like I did with the cigarettes. But if you want to, you can, and like you can take inventory. Okay. You can take inventory so that you know, kind of what your baseline is. This will also help you. We talked about wins last week, right? So if you know that you respond actually like five times a day, very frustrated, and that's kind of a tone you keep throughout the day. And then one time you use one of these therapeutic intervention tools, or one time you change your tone and you regulate your body and you, you sit with your kid and you co-regulate or you show up differently. Well, boy, that's a win, right? Instead of focusing on all the four times that you were frustrated, you get to focus on the one that you weren't because that's a change from your baseline. You get to look at your inventory and see, well, I'm actually doing better. I get to look at my cigarette sheet and go, you know, last week when I was just taking inventory, I smoked a pack a day. This week, I noticed if I have to write it down, I really only need like five cigarettes a day. Now, I feel like I need to close the loop. I was, uh, I, I used that, that group and um, I actually didn't cut down at all leading up to quit day. But once it was quit day, by golly, I quit. So, um, you know, for me, sticking to something like that was, was important. But, and I just say that so that people, if you want to know, did she quit? Yeah, I quit smoking cigarettes. But um, I think that little awareness sheet was awesome. So, so stop and take inventory first and just be an observer. Be like a person sitting in your living room, sitting in your mentor sessions, sitting in your program. How do you interact with staff? How do you interact with parents? How do you interact with mentors? How do you interact with kids? Okay. And then when we're working with kids, when we're working with parents, it should be the same thing. Like allow them time to gain awareness. Allow yourself time to gain awareness. Another thing that mentors or service providers do is we jump into like, how do we fix? How do we jump in and make change here? And we jump right to it, but we don't allow time for the relationship. Let's get to know this person. Let's gauge their baseline. Let's develop awareness around who they are so that when they make changes that we are so adamant about helping them make, 
that we can show them that they might see their faults still coming up, but we see their progress. So again, we've got to start with seeing our baseline, taking inventory, trying to make some change, and then praising ourselves for progress and not beating ourselves up because we're still, you know, we need to, there, there's smoking a pack a day and then there's being a non-smoker, but there's a whole bunch of time in between. And if you don't acknowledge the fact that you're going from 20 to 15 to, five, to 10 to five to none, then all you are is good or bad, right? You're not making any progress and, and that's not where we want to live. That's not the example that we want to set for people. Okay. So I hope that that helps you guys take a break right now and just track inventory, take inventory, develop awareness. I think that that's crucial for you to understand how you're progressing. And I think that's a crucial tool that you can give to anybody you're working with of let's just pause and take inventory for a while. Okay. That was a lot. I got fired up. All right. So here we go. This is Christine's part two. Hi, I'm Rebecca Britt, and this is the Stable Moments Podcast, the show where we discuss all things related to the foster care system and early childhood trauma, from foster parents, trauma experts, former foster kids, and beyond. We'll take a deep dive into the complexities of the foster care crisis in an effort to better understand how to fix it. Mm. It's, it's, it's just like... I know that we've come a long way, but it still baffles me that there, that nobody was, was at least trying to get you therapy or um, talk about it. Yeah, I'm not even sure really what the social worker's role was besides just making sure you had a home because now, you know, social workers are really trying to make sure kids are getting their their trauma addressed and the healing that they need or at least they're supposed to in fact there's they they have to have a therapist if they're coming into care and all of that i think they've learned a lot as you know it's it's been it's quite a while ago so you know i i think that a lot has been learned and i think especially in the you know it hasn't been that long that there's been so much more understanding of the effect of trauma the effect of um, the lack of attachment um, as a ch child. All of these things have contributed to us knowing so many more things that we can do, right? Right. Yeah, that's, I am so, so grateful for the uh, advances that we have made. I know when people talk about how broken the system is, you're like, well, it's not as broken as it was. That's right. <laughs> it's gotten better, actually, believe it or not. So tell us about uh, the Ranch of Hope Reigns and how that all came about. So I was not a little girl with, you know, all of my past. I was not a little girl who grew up thinking about horses. This was not like, someday I'm going to have a horse. Never entered my mind. It wasn't until I was an adult and I had children who became horse obsessed. Um, we bought some property and my husband and I bought some property and we brought home two horses for our children. Um, it's another um, funny thing how God, you know, has things happen. But within three weeks, I had 
14 horses living on my property. So wow. I got thrown into it really fast. But I, what I think is really neat is that I learned about horses primarily from not from like riding them and, and, you know, working with them in that way. I learned about them from watching how they interacted in the pasture and from a relational point of view. And I had an old school trainer who thought I was like really crazy when I would tell her about like the conversations that were happening in the pasture, you know, but that's how I was. That's how I saw it. And, and I learned really early on that how I was like, not just what I did, but just how I was within myself with them. I could create different responses and, and have different interactions with them. Mm -hmm. And so all these things like really started to uh, be really profound to me. And then my oldest child um, was in a theater program and she, she and the daughter of the therapist I currently work with, they were in this program together. And it was one day, um, Debbie, the therapist that I work with, was talking to my daughter and telling her about what she did. Um, my daughter was like, my mom is a social worker and we have horses and she would love to know about this. So it was a couple years before we actually ended up being able to work together. But um, in 2006, um, Deborah Hirschberg had a private therapy practice and she had begun doing some equine work at a couple of different facilities and it really wasn't working out. Things just kept falling apart. So she ended up coming to me and asking me, you know, if I would be willing to work with her. Actually, it might have been that I was begging her to come work <laughs> at my place. Is actually how it went. Um, and so we started doing work um, as a for-profit because it was her private um, therapy practice that then she started incorporating more and more equine sessions. We built an office at our facility so that then she could actually move her office clients there also. And so that was, we started that in 2006. And then it was about in 2013, we were really starting to see so many of our clients did not have insurance to cover this type of work. I mean, to cover therapy, period. And, um, and we had so many um, grandparents raising their grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, we just started seeing more and more the significance of this, of working with horses, with both the kids and the parents. And again, seeing the need to like have some other type of financial support for these families. So that's when I decided to create, it's the Ranch of Hope Reigns. It's a 501c3. And we began in 2015. And um, we have done some programming through that. We got off to a really great start and had one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had, bringing a group of five young female, you know, some of them were teenagers, some of them were young adults. They came out and did um, 
six weekends in a row, six Saturday mornings in a row, um, doing a program called Power Tools for Living. And it's really just increasing their social and emotional intelligence and so powerful and impactful. And it's like, I would do this every day if it was possible because what the horses were able to do um, in their interaction, because you can talk and you can teach people things, but when they experience them, it's a whole different world. Mm -hmm. It has so much of a deeper impact and deeper meaning. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And, and you have, you have written or you and your partner have written curriculum. Is that right? Right. So we have written a manual called Mending Broken Hearts and Broken Connections. Mm. And it is, it was written for organizations to use in working with parents. But we actually, um, we adapt, I mean, we use it working with parents. Um, it can be it, it has a um, psychosocial educational component and then the experiential part of it that goes along with the horses. And it's really taking a lot of like TBRI and the things that Bruce Perry um, teaches and Dan Siegel and all the um, attachment theory and what it takes to actually help heal trauma and putting it all together in helping parents to be able to reach their children. You know, what, what does it mean for a parent to help a child feel safe? You know, that's such a profound thing because in parents' heads, and I know that as a child, my parents thought they were providing a perfectly safe place. There was absolutely no reason for me to not feel safe. Yet I didn't feel safe. I was still totally stuck in fight flight, you know, and actually for me, it was more freeze than anything. And, and I was stuck in that part of my brain, but they had no understanding of that. And, and their words of, you know, you're safe, you're fine. That, that has no meaning to a child, right? They have to be able to actually feel safe. And so helping parents to understand what it is that they can do to actually move a child out of that place where they're not able to feel safe to the place of feeling safe because it's not until they get there that they can even start to build a relationship with them. How do you gauge safety? So like you were a kid that did, your coping mechanism was probably to even say you felt safe. You know, you oh, said yeah. you were fine. So fine. How, how do parents gauge true safety if a child feels truly safe regardless of if they tell you they feel safe well i think one of the ways that a parent can know that is that you know is there any ability to really have a relationship and i think that there's so many things the, what's great is that how a parent can can know that is something that plays out so perfectly and profound in such a profound way when they're working with horses, because how do you know a horse feels safe when you're working with them? Mm -hmm. A horse isn't going to respond to you in a positive way until they feel safe. What are the other things that you're seeing before you get to that point? You know, it all, it becomes very, very clear in such a practical way. 
Yeah. And really allows you to do some of that energy work. And it would be very awkward to just say, now go sense what your child feels when, tonight when you're at the, you know, sometimes people can cut the tension with, the, with a knife and other times it's really subjective. Horses, right. horses create this real clear energy that you can feel. Oh, okay. I think he's opening up to me now. I think this feels good. Maybe because you're not expecting the horse to, to say anything, you know, or whatever. So you have to kind of tune in. But yeah, that's beautiful. I love how there seems to be, maybe it's just the people that I speak with, but there seems to be more of this um, focus on parents and helping parents. And I think the more we can destigmatize that, and I think the more that we can reach out to parents, of course, um, you know, not only does that help the kids because we're developing skills that they really need to be able to develop that connection with the kids, but we're also giving them some safe space for all the feelings and stuff that comes up when they have to now be a parent and kids right. have a good way of bringing up our own stuff right right and that's why it's so working with horses because of the way that their brains operate it's it's very similar to the way that the brain of a child that has experienced trauma they're so easily triggered into fight, flight, or freeze. They don't go to the thinking part of their brain very often at all. They're very much in the, what does it feel like, you know, in this room, what's going on? What do I know according to what I feel? And so when parents are working with horses and they stop trying to connect through language, because that's what we depend on so often, and then you get a child that just says, oh, I'm fine. And it's clearly not true. You know, when you stop relying on language and start going with what you feel and, and what you are aware of through your own body, horses teach you that. And also, like you said, it's so significant for parents to understand what they're carrying, because so often that's having a profound effect on the child, yet the parent is very unaware of it. So for instance, if a parent is out working with a horse and they walk up to a horse and the horse just walks away from them, what feelings does that bring up? You know, it, it may be a person who says, oh, they just saw food over there and they're going to eat. Or the person may feel like the horse doesn't like me. It wants nothing to do with me. That's why it walked away. What happens in their body, depending on what goes on in their head, is two very different things. And a child is aware, a, a traumatized child is very aware of that, and it has an effect on the relationship. So it gives the parents a chance to practice just all of those things. Oh, I love that. I love that. And the episode coming out uh, before yours or that came out before yours is we talk a lot about body awareness and how your body feels and whether you're a mentor or a community member or a support person or a parent or whoever, a lot of these kids are not in tune with their body and a lot of adults in general are not in tune with their body and being able to just say like, oh, what just happened in my body right there? But being able to show two separate things. I mean, even just you explaining that saying, if you thought, of a uh, horse walking away as complete rejection, or if you thought of it as like some logical reason, of course it can't be you. Um, either way, 
it, it, it triggers a reaction in your body. And some of those things just getting aware of is great. And some of those things that we, we can actually change to be more productive, but it's always getting attuned first, right? Right. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. So there's some foster parents that like, they are, I love, I mean, they're amazing. They're the ones that hold the gap. They're like, I know reunification might happen or, you know, this isn't long-term, so I'm going to hold the gap. And maybe they're going to do, you know, make sure that all the needs are met of that child, but maybe they're not like seeking as much as your family was this, you know, deep attachment, or maybe they don't even see themselves as attachment figures, like, like the child doesn't see them as an attachment figure. Do you ever think there's a scenario where it's actually more helpful to just hold a space for whatever the child needs, but not try to delve into like developing an attachment? Well, I think that before you even get to the point of attachment, the more significant issue is, are you, is the parent able to help the child to feel safe? And that I think needs to be addressed no matter whether this is for one night mm. or whether this is for two years. So I think that for a foster parent to be very effective, there needs to be an open heart. You know, I guess as I think about it, I was a foster home for, um, I ran a shelter for teenage runaway boys. And this was very short term. Um, these kids came and went, we were a specialized foster home. You know, there was no court order that needed to happen for kids to be placed with us. It, when they showed up at the police department, if there was conflict, they weren't able to be um, placed back in their own home. They could come live in the shelter. Sometimes it would be for two days. Sometimes it would be for months. But either way, the more that parents in whatever role they're playing can help that child learn to feel safe in the world, the, the more that they're moving that child towards healthy adulthood. And even, even small attachments, even if they're not like, yes, I love you as my own child and you're always going to be with me, but any adult who comes into a child's life and even for a week expresses, I care about you, I wanna know about you, like really you, that, that has a profound effect on that child's development and, and their health. So I would hope that most parents who are taking kids in are willing to be willing to have their hearts be broken because it is going to be painful when they get attached. And then the child may go back to their own home. They may go back to their biological parents. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, that is very painful and it is very difficult. But in that process, they have given the child something very significant. I love that. Yeah, it makes me think about, I'm in several foster to adopt type Facebook groups or whatever, and just listening to the conversation kind of. And I hear this like differentiation between therapeutic placement and non-therapeutic placement. And there was also another uh, woman on this podcast, Becca Bischoff, who uh, got a little baby, like literally out of the NICU. 
for her placement and I asked about the trauma informed training at her uh you know at her licensing for being a foster placement and she said oh well yeah they did have that but it was very clear that it was for like the teenagers and we knew that we weren't going to get a teenager and I'm like one okay we all are I hope that we all start to know that trauma can start in utero and and I don't know I'm like is this something that Department of Children and Families or certain training entities are saying oh you can go down this path and just be a foster parent and you don't need any therapeutic <laughs> like I don't get this like therapeutic versus not therapeutic but here's the deal if you want to be a foster parent you need to be a therapeutic placement otherwise you're going back to like where I started you're ignoring something right like it would be right. nice if we really just had to open our doors but for your sake not even for the kids sake for your sake understand a little bit more about what a you know what feelings of trauma and neglect and abandonment a child can have solely if the trauma is getting removed Right, right. Even if there's nothing else. Hmm. I mean, I think we're getting better, but I continue to hear like people making posts saying things like the child's doing this or she's cutting herself. I'm not a therapeutic placement. What do I do? So there's just a lot of things that can come up. So if there's a path, I don't know. Somebody can inform me. Yeah, Stable Moments podcast now has a Facebook group. If somebody wants to inform me on if there really is two paths or what, but I keep hearing this differentiation and I'm like, Listen, and, and you know what, even if you didn't know you were a therapeutic placement, if you're listening to stuff like this and you're going out there and you're getting trauma stuff, trauma background, and you're doing this type of work, you, you're a therapeutic placement. You are, and you're showing up for these kids. So yeah, I, I didn't know if you knew about this differentiation or if you'd ever heard about it, but. No, no, I, because, and, and again, I'll say, I feel like every parent has the potential to be very therapeutic so know what's going on and understand so that you can be as therapeutic as possible whether it's for two days or two years yeah and you know another guest we had on robin gobble who you know i'm a new mom and she has this whole rather than being trauma-informed just be human informed you know learning how to make somebody feel safe that their needs are met you know checking off some of these boxes before we dive into other parts of parenting, you know, it's been helpful for me with my bio son. So a lot of these uh, concepts, being playful, being attuned, being empathetic, they're, they're great for anyone. They are, right. And I think it, yes, being um, human informed is very significant, but to understand the impact that different situations and issues have on a child and what is helpful in making things work better in your home and for that child later in their future understanding the trauma and how it has affected them and i mean let let's go with everything we've learned so far and be able to use everything right right absolutely right and you absolutely cannot yeah, you can't deny the impact of trauma on the brain and on development and all of that. And so that stuff is definitely good to know and can can be specific to to kids who have endured trauma. 
but yeah, you're right. I, there's no blanket thing. You know, people want to know all the time, what do I do in this situation? I, I always would go to my parents and I would say, uh, well, what would you, what would the kid do if they tried this or if you tried this? And they'd go, oh, well, that wouldn't work. And I go, okay, what if you tried this? Oh, that might work. And it's because I don't know the kid, but the parent knows the kid pretty well. So I can ask a few things. If you said this, what would he say? If you did this, what would, and we can kind of get to something new that we might try. And we're still going to have to come back next week and see what happened. But, right. but you can't just throw out a, oh, well, let me look at the textbook. Yeah. Oh, he said this, this is the prescribed intervention. Here you go. Do this because it's just every, everybody's different. I mean, it would be nice for all parents if there was some manual right, like right. that. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this has been awesome. I'm so excited to come up and meet you in person. And I love the work that you're doing. You know, it's, it's amazing your journey and what you've created there and how God has worked in your life. And uh, it, it's just awesome. So let people know where they can support your work or where they could follow you. So we do have, um, I'm working on my social media skills, but um, <laughs> we do have um, everything as far as Facebook, Instagram, um, website. It's all The Ranch of Hope Reigns. So it is actually including the word the, The Ranch of Hope Reigns. Um, on all social media and it is org for our website and i'm very excited about doing the certification program in october and yeah i hope a lot of people can come be a part of this yeah absolutely so are you gonna do you feel like you're gonna open or have a mentorship program do you think that's something that would be good in your area oh yeah definitely and and you've talked about this when you started right like okay, we know mentorship is significant and it works and horses doing this is awesome. But I was so excited when I found that you already created a way to join those two things. Mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, definitely. And, and we've had people who are interested in becoming mentors. We, at this point, we're waiting to do the program, you know, your certification program and training so that we can just really we're we're anxious to get going well and i and i think it's critical because if kids are not going to be going back to school or you know this is crazy for foster parents right now i mean i mean it's crazy for all parents right all now parents, but right. i mean foster parents you know come into this knowing that their kids are going to go to school during the day and all of this so uh so kids, these kids, if they're not going to have the social interaction at school and they're not going to see their teachers and not, they need to see someone and how great would it be if it was the same horse, the same mentor each week that something can stay stable for them throughout this time. So right. I know I, at first I said, like, I think we all did at first I was like, be cautious. And then I was like, geez, what's more important, health or right. mental health? Right. Right. Uh, and, and I think, and I think at this stage, I, I think that we are knowing enough to be able to provide safety in both areas. Achievable. Yeah. Yep. I agree with you. All right. Well, thank you so much for this. And I will, you. I will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Thank this you. is great. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, I feel so grateful.
all that, we get to talk to such dynamic guests. I mean, people that aren't just social workers, they're not just foster parents, they actually experience the system and they are true examples. Christine's a true example of resilience. And now she's giving back her experience, her healing, um, and her heart to others and parents and children. It's just incredible. I absolutely love that I get to do this. And I'm so glad that you guys are benefiting from it as well. Thank you so much to everyone who has left a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It has been tremendous and you guys have been so supportive. It really warms my heart. And of course, it helps us get found so that more people can hear the information as well. So As you probably know already, for the month of August, we're doing a book giveaway. So everyone that submits a rating and review on Apple Podcasts can be entered into a drawing to win uh, one of the Stable Moments book, Building Life Skills for Healthy Transitions into Adulthood. And as long as you leave the review and then screenshot it and email it to me at Rebecca at StableMoments.com, I will enter you into the drawing. This week, we have a review from Rob. He titles it Smashing. Listening to Miss Britt's podcast always brightens my day. My wife and I are able to meditate on her message throughout the week, and her words resonate and always touch our hearts. Rebecca speaks with a loving heart and is easy to relate to, which is why we feel such a personal connection. Thanks for all you're doing for these children and for our world, Miss Britt. Uh, Thank you so much, Rob. That touches my heart. And I love staying connected with you all. Please join us over at the Facebook group. Just type in Stable Moments Podcast. And you will see that this week I released the I'm a Big Deal t-shirt. So let's see who of you has the courage to wear an I'm a Big Deal t-shirt and get excited about how you're going to tell people that you're a big deal when they ask you what your t-shirt's all about. We will also be releasing these in kids' sizes so that kids can wear shirts that says I'm a big deal. Let's all step up into our big deal-ness and let's not be afraid to share it and share what we do with this world. It doesn't need to be, I'm a big deal because I listen to the Stable Moments podcast, or I'm a big deal because I do something for foster and adoption. That's great if that's why you're a big deal, but share God's calling with the world. Share your big dealness, whatever it is. I'm a stay-at-home mom and I raise humans. That's a big deal. I'm an educator. That's a big deal. I'm a nurse. That's a big deal. It's really just about showing up into our big dealness in whatever realm we feel like we're a big deal. And I'm telling you, this is going to let the kids feel okay saying that they're a big deal for their unique gifts and talents. All right, guys, I cannot wait for next week. You're really in for a treat. I'm not going to spoil it, but tune in. <laughs>